You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now, here's your host, Brian Matias, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 17. Yes, we have septendecupled our episode output. Say that three times. I prefer not to. <laughs> so, I hear another voice in the room. Do you want to tell us who's joining us on this episode? Sure. We, uh, for some reason, we keep having guests and we always think that after people hear it, they'll never want to join us. But I guess uh, people do. Um, I'm excited because we've got. I've just never heard it before. Yeah. Well, you know, you can't, you can't interrupt the host, though, while he's introducing you. That's like the Sorry. worst form. Um, no, but audience, that's uh, that's one of you know my one of my closest friends who's also an amazing photographer and uh, kind of like a Lightroom Photoshop coach to the extraordinaire, uh, Matt Kloskowski. Matt, please uh, please say a little something. What's up, guys? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for uh, for being here. All right, Brian, tell us what's on uh, on today's episode. What are the topics? Well, so the first topic we have, actually, the reason why Matt's here is he recently wrote a blog post, which serves as kind of the impetus for um, the first segment, which is, it's a simple question that Matt asked, and it's, is there a Lightroom replacement? And I think it's an important question to ask, and it's not so much, I don't think it's going to be about bashing Lightroom or bashing another company, but seriously, what is it that a professional or just an enthusiast photographer needs these days? And then uh, we're going to follow that up with another thing that Matt is um, very uh, experienced with, especially, you know, spending all, all those years um, at, like Photoshop worlds and his own workshops. But are critiques relevant? Photo critiques, like you take your photos, your favorite best, I don't know, 12, 20 photos, and you get them critiqued by a professional experienced photographer. I want to critique Matt's blog post. It was TLDR. No, just kidding. It was actually, <laughs> it survived the TLDR test. It was awesome. <laughs> it's uh, it's hard to write short topics like that. Well, I think it's important too, because if you expand on it, you know, you're going to hopefully preemptively answer questions that people might have. Yeah. And for those listeners out there, we'll be linking to Matt's blog post on the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. So was TLD too long? Didn't read. Didn't read. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's like uh, it's where you put your synopsis in the beginning. But Matt, how about we start with just what prompted you to write that post? Prompted me to write the post was it had gotten to the point where it was there was too many people asking the question. And so I had a response that I was kind of copying and pasting and it didn't go that in depth, but I would copy and paste it. And, you know, it just, I, I got tired of copying and pasting the same response over and over again to, to so many different people in so many places that I'm like, this, this has to be a topic. It all kind of came to a head because it was right around the time when Adobe changed the name of Lightroom to Lightroom Classic, followed that up. And they, of course, they did that in early fall, in early October. And then you follow that up between October and November, which is very, very typical of software companies and plugins to come out with new versions for the holiday season. So now you have Adobe changes the name to Lightroom Classic. And now you have all of these other competitors that are nipping at their heels, coming out with their new versions. And so everybody's just asking, hey, is there a replacement? Should I switch? Um, which are actually two very different questions. But um, Exactly. So that's where the idea came from. Yeah. And on this show, and also, so Sharky also hosts um, his own podcast called the Petapixel Photography Podcast. And on both shows, we've covered 
lamented, I guess is a better word, right, Sharky, about just kind of like how Lightroom's performance over the years has degraded, especially as photographers' catalogs get larger and larger with more records, more photos. I don't know. I'm particularly interested. I have my own opinions. I'm sure both of you do too, in terms of, is there a Lightroom replacement? And also, does there need to be one? That's another question. I mean, I would say the the first thing that I, I tell people is, I think number one, if you have Lightroom and or Photoshop and you're happy and you have a good workflow, just stop, stop, stop thinking, stop with the bright, shiny object syndrome. Stop thinking there's something else out there. I should be switching. Everybody's talking about this. I'd say just stop. You have two incredibly solid programs that have a huge community and a huge support network around them. And they are the cheapest that they've ever been in the entire software world ever. So I'd say if, if you have them, then yeah, you know, there, there's always going to be a replacement, but I don't know that you need to go look for one. Now, if you have those two programs and you're not happy, and I don't really want to get into the reasons why you're not happy. It's We might as well de- debate politics if we're going to get into that. So for whatever reason or not, you're not happy with those programs. Then yes, you do need to go find something else. I absolutely believe if you are a Lightroom 6 or earlier user and you're using Lightroom and you're not going to go to the Adobe Creative Cloud, you need to move on because they they have left you behind. And I don't even, I was going to say in so many words, they've left you behind. I think it's pretty obvious they've left you behind. I don't even think they're trying to hide it other than coming out with a, a PR piece that says, Hey, Lightroom six users, we're leaving you behind. You know, like I don't even think they're trying to be, you know, devious about it. So you need to move on. And that's where the blog post came from. What I thought were possible competitors that exist today. Now, I don't want to belabor this, but I want to get it out of the way. Do you feel like Lightroom classic? And I hate that name and I know everyone does. Do you feel like it is any faster than it was before? Because I've been talking about this on my show for literally the last three years now, and I've taken polls and just people say it's marginally faster. Not many people are like, wow, this is this is the speed boost we've been waiting for. So my feeling is, is Adobe, they clearly didn't rewrite Lightroom. Classic's the old code, I believe. They don't care to speed it up. There'll be little speed improvements along the way. They want to get everybody over to Lightroom CC, and they're just good with how things are. I mean, for me, I saw a huge speed boost. It's tough to say. And I do hear a lot of people say, I'm not seeing any speed boost or anything. So I saw it immediately. In fact, being a beta tester for it, I had a very hard time for a few months of having to go back to the old Lightroom whenever I had to do a video or anything because I got so used to the speed in the new Lightroom. Yeah, I mean, for me, and and I'm with Shrek, I don't want to belabor this either, but as a beta tester, I've been very excited about Lightroom CC, the new one. And that, you know, like what Shark was saying, that actually has been kind of built from the ground up. That was taking a page out of the kind of Lightroom mobile infrastructure and making a desktop app. And I will say that, you know, with the beta version that hopefully people will be seeing soon, the stuff that they've added to it is making it more and more compelling. And I find it to be way snappier. With that said, I don't have my entire Lightroom catalog in CC. I mean, I have Classic with my 250,000 photos. In CC, I only have a a much smaller subset. So for me, what I want to ask, or and what I think the audience needs to ask themselves in response to Matt's blog post is, what exactly do you need? I mean, if you can't answer that, then I think that's the first question you need to figure out. Because once you do, then you can look at what all the alternatives are. The reason why I still use Lightroom and Photoshop, those are my primary applications. 
And I'll switch over to something like On One when I need to do something that Lightroom doesn't do. Admittedly, I don't go to Lightroom or to On One to process a RAW file because I've become really used to Adobe's RAW converter. I know what to do. But when I want to apply, say, a certain, like a dynamic contrast or a glow or a sunshine filter or something like that, that Lightroom doesn't have any capability of doing, that's when I switch over to that program. And that's where you have a really kind of diverse landscape of opportunities. I'm okay with the subscription thing. I get it. When I think about how powerful those two applications are, 10 bucks a month or whatever it's going to be, to me is worth it. But I do believe that there's going to be a point where if people still want to stick with Lightroom and they want to see performance improvements, they're going to have to make that jump to Lightroom CC because I'm, I think Sharky just, it's not going to get any faster. And so, so that's, that's kind of my take on it. But how about let's do this? I'd like for both of you to answer the question, like, what is it that you guys look for or need in your application, whether it's Lightroom or whatever? Like, what is it that first question you ask yourself? So here's what I need. Well, I used to shoot mostly sports. So I need the speed issue is one thing. But what I'm still recommending is if you're doing a lot of sports, if you're doing, let's say you're shooting weddings and you've got thousands of images to call, I'm still recommending that people get Photo Mechanic, which is like 150 bucks. Call in there, tag them, et cetera, bring those into Lightroom and then just edit in Lightroom and just call it good. Now, when I was a photojournalist, that one guy hates when I mention that. When I was a photojournalist, I had all my images that I was you know, submitting to my editor captioned. I need to be able to bring those over to whatever program I'm going to, and I need to know they're there. So when you've got, like in my case, like you, hundreds of thousands of images without going through everything. Now, they're not all tagged, of course, just the ones that were select. So maybe like you know, for online galleries, like 20 or 30. But we're talking my last newspaper alone, 15, I did 1500 assignments in a little over five years. So I would have to go through just to be sure I've got everything. I'd have to go through 1500 catalogs and make sure all those captions came over to whatever program that I'm moving it in. I don't even know if that's possible with Capture One Pro 11 and everything. And I need to be assured that those make their way over because once that data is gone, it's gone unless I write those to the file and do all this other kind of you know stuff. So let me ask you this. Why would you even move to Capture One? What, what are you, what's missing in your workflow that you would go to a program that does the same thing? That's a good question. So for me, the only reason to move over would be to screw Adobe. No. <laughs> I'm going to screw Adobe by paying twice the amount of... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 300 bucks for a piece of software. Take that. And while I'm at it, I'm taking it too. So... The reason to move over would be if there was something that was markedly faster, better in some way. I don't know that that necessarily exists. I've used all the programs. You got into this as well in your uh, blog post. When you use Capture One Pro 11, whatever they call it, I don't think they drop Pro. It's just Capture One 11. You feel like you're doing some editing. Like you're in a pro program. Like this is yeah. this is what all the top guys are using for a reason. Like this is the good stuff right here. Lightroom, you know, you're getting the job done. We've used it for years now. We know where everything's at. There's the time issue with myself. I don't have time to go learn a new program, learn where everything's at. So if I moved over, I'd A, have to have the time and there'd have to be a big reason like it's speedy. I want to stay in Lightroom. I give Adobe a lot of crap, but I also say I want to stay in Lightroom. It's what I know. And I don't feel like any program is like super fast out there. Speed is a, speed's an interesting thing. You know, like you guys ever get a new computer? And the first day you feel like, wow, this is really cool. And then by day three, you're like, 
God, this thing's, I, I don't like this at all anymore. You know, I, 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 need, I need a new computer. This is, you know, it just, I, I think, I think speed is a very weird thing. I think you get used to speed improvements very, very quick and then they don't feel speedy anymore. But I don't know anything that's super fast. I will say on one is faster. I, like on one is almost photo mechanic fast when you just point it at a folder. Yeah. To look at a, a to browse a folder of photos. Yeah, I mean, for me, we brought this up actually, I think like second or third episode of, of the series where it's all well and good. People want Lightroom to be faster, but then there, there are always two things that aren't considered in these um, with, with two variables. The first is the computer that you're running it on. So most people are like, oh, I just I just upgraded to, you know, I pay keep paying Adobe to run a, a Lightroom on my four year old computer. Like that doesn't work like that. That That's kind of there is a certain built in obsolescence with software that it's the software engineers are typically, I would say, working to optimize to work with the latest generation hardware. Yeah. Same thing with uh, with uh, with Apple with their iOS 11, how, you know, you installed on an iPhone 6S and it drags. But then there's the other thing that people sometimes forget. And this is a subset of people. But for instance, like us, uh, Matt, we've shot with the A7R2s, going to shoot with the A7R3 by Sony. These are 40 plus megapixel uncompressed raw files. They're like pushing 80 to 100 megabytes each. Yeah. And that's a lot of data to have to crunch through. So even if you're working with uh, whatever the proxy jpeg you know or whatever adobe um the embedded preview it's still a lot of information by the way i might i might get hung for this from the sony people but i actually changed my setting to compressed raw oh i i, I did i did the the side-by-side tests and I, I couldn't see enough of a difference to to double the file size of my raw file so i changed it I, <laughs> a kitten just it. got killed <laughs> So I'm, I'm trying to think about the the question was what do we need right what do we need I would like on my side I want I I, I want speed I want a, I want a good fast browsing process because you know I I go out and I shoot mostly you know landscapes and travel and outdoors and stuff and I I, I just I'm not a real techie guy in the field I don't want to look at histograms I don't want to look at anything I, I just want to shoot and because of that I shoot a lot of it bracketed even when I don't need to. I do a lot of testing when I'm, you know, I'll, I'll focus in different places, even though I'm not going to focus stack. I'll just try different focus spots just so I'm covered and, and all those things. So I want to be able to get through everything fast. I want a good fast raw editor. I want when I move a slider, I want it to change immediately on the screen. Lightroom has always been good at that for me. I've talked to people where they say it's not, but it is just, it has never not worked well for me in that aspect. Um, and then. This is the, for me, the number one, the, the main reason why I don't think I'm anytime soon away from the Adobe world is Photoshop. I could never work like, you know, I worked for on one for over a year and I realized I'm not a, I'm not a software person. I can, once, once you hand a piece of software to me, I can tell you what I don't like about it, but I don't have a vision for what it should be. And so Photoshop is one of those programs that like, I know I can do anything I want. So for a software, you know, imagine me working for on one and the engineers are coming to me and saying, Hey, what should we add? I'm like, I don't know. You, know? you were a great hire. <laughs> the second I tell you what to add, I'm going to be, I can pretty much tell you that three minutes later, I'm not going to care about it anymore. And I'm probably going to want something else. So I got this email and this is kind of, I think a good time to bring it up. So, and the timing is perfect. Yesterday, I received an email from someone named Greg Hopkins, and I got permission to share it. And I want to thank Greg. So this is what he messages me. 
says, hi, Brian. I was wondering what you as a professional use to post-process your customers or clients. And I assume paraphrasing, what is what am I using as a professional to edit my, the photos? Because I don't have customers or clients. Do you use On One Photo Raw 2018? I ask because after much frustration with the learning of On One Photo Raw 2018, I asked for a full refund and returned to Adobe Lightroom and Photoshop. Really hated to do it, but Photo Raw 2018 has too many issues from the learning curve. So this whole learning curve thing and how it relates to as a professional, which is why I asked the question, what do you guys need? What makes a software professional? Because as a professional, like I said, I'll I'll use on one, like I'll use effects and I'll I'll use some of the other tools in there, but I don't look at it and and in the lens of, oh, this is a professional software or not. I look at it kind of like what Sharky and I have discussed. Uh, and what you brought up in your blog post in terms of if I do switch to something, what's that learning curve? What's the, the time it's going to take to get at a place where I am as comparable in terms of efficiency and performance as I am in Lightroom? It's a tough question for me to answer because, number one, I'm, I'm in a way, I'm not really a professional. Like, I don't have clients. The only way I make money from my photography is because I shoot and then I teach with those photos. So I'm not a professional. And then and then I think we also were talking like Sharky, you and I are, are, are we're talking in very different audiences. My audience, if I if I pulled my email list and my Facebook followers, my audience is probably 40, 50 above, has another job, has a family, has an income from something else or retired. Huge part of my audience. And they're just in photography because they love it. So the second I go to my audience and say, well, you know, journalists, what you're going to need to do is this. They're just going to tune right out of what I'm having to say because they're not in that world. They don't have the same needs that a journalist have. They don't have the same needs that a fashion photographer has. You know, I always say like, you know, capture one. I can see a difference if you put a photo side by side in those two, those two programs between capture one and Lightroom. I can see a difference. I can't tell you that one's better than the other. My eye is not that refined to, you know, so, but a fashion photographer needs that. They, they see something in Capture One that they need. Or when I look at it, I guess, like I said, I can see the difference. I don't ever see that one's better than the other. So it's hard to say what I need because as a as a non-professional, a lot of it's more about like, what do I feel like today? Eh, today, you know what? I feel like using a, a lookup table in Photoshop. And tomorrow, yeah, you know, I feel like using a preset in Lightroom because I can, you know, it's it's what I feel like in that day. Like you said in your blog post, all these companies have free trials. Try them out. And you can't give it a few minutes. You have to literally be... And this isn't mission critical. You can't do this like while you're editing photos for a wedding. Do this on a weekend or whatever. Give yourself a couple of hours and don't make a decision right away. Use it across that month. Make notes about how that's working out for you. How does it feel when you're using that? Do you feel like the program's getting in your way? Do you feel like you're getting it done? Do you feel like you're finding things? If you are, maybe that's the program for you. And then you have to consider digital asset management. What has it? Like I, Luminar is eventually going to have it. I love Luminar. I think it's enjoyable to use. For straight out of the gate, it was pretty darn incredible. And you can see where it's going. And like you said in your blog post as well, HDR should be just built into things. It shouldn't be a separate program. I'm with you on that. When I was when I was reading your article, I was like, my head was bobbing like crazy. I thought it was going to bob off for ninety nine dollars. Well, that's that's I think that's more a, a marketing PR thing because of the fact that that was more <laughs> as a Trey Ratcliffe thing. So it has to be its own thing, and that's all well and good. I agree. If Apple is including it in their camera app, every I mean that's to me everyone. It's not a 
standalone product. It's not big enough to be one. It's just a utility. And then one last point here, because I want to move on, because this is definitely a topic that's been covered ad nauseum. But speaking of audiences with Matt, that's the other thing. Uh, Matt and I have very similar business models. We're both we're professional photographers insofar as that we make a living out of our photos, not necessarily a traditional way with commercial work. But uh, we, we go out to create photos so that we can create content that we can package up premium content. We can sell that stuff. We can create stuff on YouTube, just make a whole brand out of it. Now, I did do a product steering survey last year. Uh, no, no, no. Earlier this year. Sorry. And I'm going to be doing it again to my newsletter in a few weeks. And I asked them. Because I can go ahead and if I was a traditional commercial photographer where I am my client, meaning I edit my photos for myself, yeah, then yeah, we can go to, you know, look at Capture One and maybe their tethering is better. Or I can look at, you know, Luminar when their dam comes out. But my clients are, that's my, my audience. And so I ask them, what do you use? And that, in a way, is also a very big consideration. So when I see that resoundingly, I mean, the, the large majority, 70 some odd percent is Lightroom Photoshop, and then the next largest is on one. Well, that to me is an indicator where I that's where I need to be because I'm not going to create products for my audience if they don't even have any desire to use it. So it falls flat. It's a much smaller, much narrower thing. But I think for someone like Matt and myself and any other listener who has a similar business model, that's a very important thing is where's, where's our audience? Yeah. I, I did a webinar right before we uh, right before we we had this. I, I just so so what you said. I just created a big on one training system, and a lot of people are asking me, "Does that mean you switched over to on one?" And no, I, I as I've mentioned in the blog post that we're talking about, I believe we can get the same look that we want from any of these programs. I believe their sliders can all be pushed to get the look that you want. So as an educator, I'm kind of owning my role as an educator. You know, I don't care what you use. I'll show you how to edit your photos because I think. The art of the edit is much more important than whose exposure slider do I use. But a lot of people ask, you know, does that mean you're switching? No, it just means I, I just, uh, my audience is asking me to create an on one training system similar to my Lightroom Photoshop one. So I did. But then somebody came in and asked the question. They said, are you going to create something for ACDC? Oh my God. I'm like, and I, I just said, absolutely not. And so then, you know, that just led to everybody saying, well, why? And it's just like, it's because nobody will buy it. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a program out there and I'm sure it does fine. It's just it has not risen to the level of community support and usage that warrant people using it. Right. I would say that there has to be someone out there who is an ACDC expert and hopefully they are creating content for it and they have their niche and that's great. But, you know, we all have all three of us have very finite time. We're creating content. We need to make sure that the content we create, I guess, matches the desires of our audience as best as possible. So let's put the fork in this one, guys. Um, I appreciate uh, your thoughts here and move on to the second topic. And that is about photo critiques. So let's start Sharky with you and then Matt. Have you guys ever been on the critique, not the critique gore, but like, have you ever had a photo critique where you've taken uh, your portfolio, however that was, whether it's print or on an iPad or whatever, and gone to someone who you respect and had them critique you? Sharky. Not formally. I mean, if we go back to the photojournalism career, you present your portfolio, of course, to an editor and they decide whether or not you're good enough to be hired, right? So that's like the ultimate test right there. But um, I've, of course, asked people, what do you think about this photo? Should I crop it a different way? 
did I go a little too cray cray on the HDR, etc. So, but as far as actually like paying for a review or formally asking for one and that sort of thing, no. What about you, Matt? I've never formally paid for anything, but yes, I've I have over the years had a couple of formal critiques from people who I respect in the industry and then kind of informal ones where I'll throw a photo out there to a, a small group and say, "Yo, what do you guys think? I'm thinking of replacing X image in my portfolio and what do you think of this?" Do you guys think that critiques have a place today for photographers, given how many photographers there are? Is that something that has kind of gone the way that Latin has in terms of being a forgotten practice, forgotten language, or is it still very real and do you advocate for it? I think absolutely, especially these days where everyone's a photographer and there's just so much out there. How do you be signal through the noise, right? So seek out, let's say you're a landscape photographer and the person that you admire most does critiques. It might cost you a hundred bucks, 200 bucks or whatever, but you're getting expert advice from someone, you know, ski in that direction, right? And so they can give you great advice. That would be worth it. And that would then, as long as you implement those things and actually take it seriously, that would help you to rise above. So I think there's definitely a place for it. There's a lot of merit in that. I don't think that's, it might be dead as a formal thing only because there's so much noise out there. You just don't hear about it as much. Yeah. And um, I, and also I think, you know, from a, so let's talk about two perspectives from a client perspective because portfolios are out there so much online and everything, the critique almost happens, doesn't even necessarily have to fully happen like to the person because sometimes people see their work and before they even come in, they, they might actually have a feeling or whatnot on somebody's work because they can see it without the portfolio. But to what Sharky said, I, I agree too. I, I don't think that it's certainly a changed, a changed art. And I think the motivation behind a critique has changed a little bit where I think critiques used to be from just for people that were trying to break into the photography industry and get better. I think now you still have that, but you also have people, as I said before, that just love photography and we want to get better. And the best example that I can give is you see the guitars hanging up on the wall back there. So when I was a teenager, probably almost 10 years in, in my teens, uh, early 20s, I played the guitar. I dropped it for 20 years. Just last April, I've picked it back up and I take lessons. And even though I don't formally ask, I take an online lesson with a gentleman, even though I don't formally ask for a critique, each week I give him like a solo of me and the feedback he gives me is invaluable. I'm probably never going to get on a stage. I'm never going to have gigs. I don't want gigs. I don't want to get on a stage. I don't want to make a living doing this. I don't, I don't care. I just like to play. And once in a while, friends, family, whoever, maybe I record something, throw it online. I just, I kind of want to be liked by it. You know, like I want somebody to listen to and say, you know, darn, that, that sounds good, Matt. But the feedback he gives me is invaluable. And it's things that I would never, ever pick up on my own. It's the kind of thing that you need somebody past yourself to see. And even if your motivation is not to make money from it, I think you still want to make better photos. And I think it's absolutely alive as a thing that people should still do. I don't recommend dropping guitar. It's not not good for it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and we, we can, Matt, we could start it with the three of us, Sharky and the F-stops. But uh, that was really bad. Sharky, you know, I blame you. Leave the dad jokes to me. Come on. I'm, I'm never going to do one again. So, Matt, when you were uh, an instructor, when you were for Kelby Media for how many years? Ten. So that's, uh, let's just multiply their two Photoshop worlds. So let's just say 20 Photoshop worlds, yeah. which is insane. 
I remember they offered critiques, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh yeah, and you you've conducted them, right? Oh yeah, yeah, they were always sold out. They were they were free, but they were always filled. Yeah, and I actually I remember doing one of the Photoshop worlds where I was presenting there at the show. Like, I actually I got to do it as well, and I thought it was really rewarding to to do that. But when you did the critiques, you were the one providing the critiques. Were you brutally honest? That is a thing you have to feel out for the person that you're talking to. So to me, a successful and critiquing is education in a way. As to me, a successful educator looks at their student, deals out what their motivations are and what they can handle and what they're looking from something and where their experience level is, and then delivers something to them based on that. So it would be different for different people. Somebody would sit down and say, let me have it. And then I'd say, okay, well, you know, this one, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but you know, the person not doing this, this, and you give them. And then all of a sudden, like, if they got really quiet, you had to feel that, wow, I just took them down a level. And I don't know that that was helpful for them, (laughs) you know, and then, then there were people that could take it. And so you do, you, you had to, you had to feel it out. I did a lot of critiques at Kelby too, where I would do them on shows with other people. And I could say we had the people that the people that I would do the critiques with had very different styles. You know, one person was always very, just give it to them. No matter what, I'm just going to be honest, where if I could see that the motivation for the photo was somebody that was kind of a hobbyist and just kind of like photography, probably wasn't going to try to sell it. I pulled back a little bit and I tried to give them the good stuff about the photo and then just say, and you know what, you know, we could probably fix lighting a little bit in the future. If you get out there, if you could ever shoot this place again, maybe get out there at some yeah. You know, the goal is to help them grow, not to like be like, this is all the stuff I know and this is why you suck. Right. You know, you want them, you don't want, how do you want them to leave it? You want them to leave it thinking, okay, these are the areas I can work on to make things better, not be like, wow, I really regret asking Matt Klusklowski that. Yeah. However you pronounce it, Matt K. No, you said it good. That was good. <laughs> That's not bad. But, and I think that's the important thing is in terms of like photographers who want, who fashion themselves as people who can provide critiques. I think, who was it? I, th- I can't remember if it was Sharky or Matt who said it's uh it's kind of like an educational thing. It's less about how good of a photographer you are. I'm talking about the person giving the critique and more of how good of a educator, how good of a coach you are. Because I think any photographer, any good photographer should be able to pick apart a photo. It's how you deliver it. And that's where I think the value of a really good mentor comes into play is they can deliver it in such a way that it's not coddling you. It's not totally decimating you, but it's giving you that information in such a way where you feel empowered to go ahead and work on it. Yeah. You feel excited about it. It's also much in the, and it's a, this is what makes it even harder. It's a lot in the eye of who's critiquing. So I, I had a, I had a gentleman come up to me at Photoshop World, this last one in April. And he asked me if he, I would take a look at his photos. I said, yeah, meet me after this class and, and we can go look at them. So he uh, he first sat down and he said, so I sat down with so-and-so instructor in the beginning of the conference and he just ripped me apart. He basically said his whole portfolio was just a bunch of vacation photos and he needs to get more thoughtful, needs to feel his image better and everything, you know. And then I looked at his portfolio. I'd have taken any photo in there and put it in my portfolio. Now he lived in St. John's and he had a, uh, and he also, his son ran a diving charter or whatever. So he has a lot of islands. He has a lot of underwater, a lot of 50 50 shots, a lot of islands, a lot of hammocks, a lot of trees, gorgeous sunsets. But I guess there were photos that depicted vacation, but they weren't vacation like, yeah, click, you know, like, right. This guy was a solid photographer, but it was, 
I don't know how to say this, but I don't, I don't feel like I have to have a meaning behind my photo. If the scene looks pretty, click, I take it. Some photographer, and I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, some photographers feel different. Some photographers feel like there's got to be emotion, got to pull something from you, you know, and I'm not saying the other person was wrong. He just had a different mindset from the gentleman he was critiquing, where me right. and the gentleman I was critiquing, we kind of had the same mindset. I'm like, man, I want to be on that beach, you know? Yeah, I think that's why it's important. And I, I think, so I, I believe all three of us are advocating the importance of critiques. I, I also believe that it's important to do your research. You don't just kind of like, if I were to get a critique, I would want to learn more about that person who's going to do it, if they've done it before and what their style is. Because I love critiques. I've received critiques. I've given them and in the right way, they're yeah. they're just the most profound experience they can be, at least. And sometimes they're hard. <laughs> they're hard to hear, but... I love it. I mean, the bring it on. The, I won't delude myself. In fact, that's why I started this my own little web series called Photo Redux, yeah. where I'm taking my oldest photos, these atrocious photos, and I'm just dissecting them because it's cathartic. Yeah. So... Can I throw one thing in there? Because you, you mentioned it at the end, and I think it's it's a good closing point for the critique. You have to find somebody genuinely wants to make you better. And it sounds silly. It sounds silly because you think you could go to your photo club, your camera club and like, well, you know, okay, John's in my camera club. He's a real nice guy. And he's always been nice to me. You know, he gives me tips when we're out there and, and whatnot. And, and I don't say this to say that there's bad people. It's just I, the best example I can give is, is when I was at Kelby, do you know the last thing that I did is bring my photos in to my coworkers I'd say my coworkers, like the people that were on my team and whatnot and show, like I used to in the beginning and then I stopped and I stopped because I realized, and this sounds bad, they didn't want to make me better. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like there's innate competition sometimes Absolutely. in these camera clubs and these places that people kind of run in. And some, th there's a lot of innate competition there. And so the person that's critiquing, you might not even know that they're putting some spin on it. You know what I mean? But it's just, I kind of just realized, you know what? They don't want to make me better. They kind of just want to pick it apart and say, look, I found something wrong with your photo. You know? Um, yeah. And so I stopped bringing my photo. I stopped asking. You know, I would just, I, I would just show a photo. I never brought something in and say, hey, what do you guys think? Cause I just got to the point where I didn't, where I realized what they, you know, thought wasn't what, what I was looking for there. So I think a big part is, is you have to find somebody that's got no skin in the game, you know? Think you're like me, probably Sharky. I think we're all the same. Like I want every single person I talk to, I want them to get better than me because I don't have skin in the game. I'm not. I'm not trying to make money from my photography. If you got better than me, that means it worked. That means my education helped. And and that's at the end of the day, that's the best thing I can hear. Is your photo is way better than mine. This is why we had you on, Matt K, because <laughs> you have the awesome advice here. But what I really want to know, I think we we're done with this topic, don't you think, guys? Yeah, I think we all agree. What I want to know, Matt, is what's on your gear shelf. All right, you ready? So it is called the PGD Tracker. It's from photogeardesigns.com. And so what it is, I've over the last year, year and a half, kind of gotten into wildlife photography more. I was never into wildlife. Took a trip to Costa Rica and it kind of really clicked with me. And believe it or not, and I was never into birds. In fact, I'm going to say this. I used to make fun of bird photographers. And then I went to Costa Rica and I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. You know what it is? It's the challenge behind it that I really like. But anyway, what this thing is, is it's a, uh, it's got a laser scope. And so you put it on your hot shoe. Imagine bird photography, like you're zoomed in. Sometimes we're zoomed in 400, 600, 800 millimeter. And if that right. bird moves a foot, you're like, oh crap, where'd it go? You know, like you can't, you've lost it. So 
What this does is this lets you hold your camera away from your, your face. You put this on and it's got a laser dot sight on it and you look through it. So now you see the peripheral of, of your whole scene, but then you can look quickly at the site and see if the dot is on your subject because you calibrate it. So the dot is the center of your frame. Interesting. That's it. You win. Best pick ever. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I'm thinking like that's that's fun. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, because that is a, it's the hardest thing. You lose your peripheral when you're looking through your viewfinder. And even a, even the LCD screen isn't what we want because you still lose it. Like you're able to sit back and really look at it. So, well, look at like if you're photographing the moon, that thing moves so darn quickly when you're zoomed in on it. Yeah. Right. So it's that's difficult. Yeah, but you're not going to shoot a laser sight at the moon. <laughs> Photogeardesigns.com. I don't, I don't think it actually shoots like, I don't know how it works. I, how much is it? I don't think it's harming the bird's eye. <laughs> so I think you're okay. I want to say it was like 125 bucks. We'll get the link and put it in the show notes. It's photography. Everything is, everything is automatically over $100. Pretty much. And that's cheap. All right. So Brian, what's on your gear shelf? Um, so I'm going to go with this lens. So I'm going to Tokyo. Actually, when this show airs, I'll already be in Tokyo. And I love this lens. It's the Zeiss Bodice 18 millimeter f2.8. So this is primarily for Sony shooters for full frame. But I'm a big fan of this lens for, for two primary reasons. One, well, the focal length. I love wide angle and it's fast. And it's $100. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> $100 times several. But the reason why I like this bodice, and I like all the bodice lenses, is because it has this rubberized grip for the focus ring. So it's kind of wintry time now in Japan, and a lot of times I'll do manual focus stuff. And it's hard for me to, when I'm wearing gloves, to always turn the focus ring or know when I'm turning it. So having that rubberized grip is really nice. And then the other thing, speaking of focusing, is um, it also has this really tiny little OLED screen, which shows me when I'm turning the focus ring, it's showing me the actual distance. So I don't have to, you know, most, uh, almost every single lens out there has markings, etched distance markings. This actually on a display shows me. So as I'm turning it, it shows. So that's my pick is the Zeiss Bodice 18 millimeter f2.8. And how much is that? 13 to 1500. Uh, not too bad. I mean, it's great quality. Yeah. And so did you say you're, you're a Zeiss ambassador? Did we disclose that? Did did we? No, no, no. I am a Zeiss ambassador. We've disclosed it in previous episodes, but not just now. Now we just no. Now we just did. <laughs> right. <laughs> Come on, follow along here. All right. So you done? Yep. All right. Good. So my pick is Atmosphere Aerosol. I think you guys have heard <laughs> this before, right? So it's essentially yep. fog in a can, and it's awesome. Huh. And this sounds horrible. It's made of butane, mineral oil, and propane. So there you go. Just be careful with it, right? It's not going to combust or anything. Every photographer, if you're out doing shoots, you should have this in your bag. Let's say you're you're shooting, you're doing senior photos or you know um, an engagement session or whatever. It's toward the end of the evening. The light is coming through the trees. It looks beautiful. You're snapping away. You're taking your shots. Bust this out. Spray this behind the bride and groom or who have you there. And all of a sudden, you got completely different look. Why not have it with you? It's like, I don't know. It's like 10, 15 bucks. Really? Yeah. It's awesome. It's great <laughs> stuff. Cool, it is, dude. You know, there was stuff like this. I remember 30 years ago. This is way better. It hangs in the air. If you just want to freak out your cats, 
and your children. You know, the sun's coming through the blinds or whatever. Spray this. It'll hang there in the air. It's almost like there's like like an ethereal kind of ghost kind of thing happening. It is awesomeness. They'll be in the hospital from chemical inhalation, but it'll be really cool, right? <laughs> no, it's it's good. It's, uh, you know, flammable contents, right? Under pressure, but... Does it kill squirrels? <laughs> Only if you throw the actual can at okay. it, I'm sure. <laughs> so in that case, yes. But it's, it's non-toxic, it says, non-irritating, ozone safe. I've talked to these folks before. They went through a lot of trouble to make sure that this was low impact, as awesome as possible. It is great stuff. You just, why not have it with you? If you're shooting, when you light something from the side, it reveals texture. If you light something from behind, you know, you've got light coming in from behind, I should say, spray this into the air. You can spray this, I think, for a solid, I think, five minutes before it empties. It's awesome. Just a little bit goes a long way. If you need it to get out of there, you can just fan it away. It's it just hangs. It just it's like Michael Jordan. Jarky, you said I, I got that. I've done a lot of interviews and things. Pick your favorite piece of gear. You said mine. That is the best one I've ever seen. I can honestly say you are easy to impress, Matt K. I can honestly no. I've never. <laughs> that is awesome. I like that. I'm gonna get you it. really seriously. There's no downside to you know. Just every photographer should have this with them. In worst case, you, you know, if you're in a compromising situation, just take a lighter and turn it into a blowtorch. Yeah. So it's photographer safety as well. But no, seriously, have it with you. It gives you another look. A lot of people, the sun's low on the horizon. They got their shots. They think they're done. No, spray this really quickly. Get some more shots. And you've got that beautiful. It's almost like Narnia. Dude, I'm I'm going to go buy it. I'm going to go buy a can. I'm going to go buy like 10. Cans. I've got a whole case of it. It's great. And then you can use it. And then you can use it for the bad critiquer, too. That's right. <laughs> All right. Sharky, Matt. I think this was a great show if I say so myself. Yeah, I, I'd say so. Only because we added Matt K into the mix here. <laughs> Yeah, smooth stylings. <laughs> there we go. What do you say we clap it out? Sure. Does Matt know about this? On the count of three, on actual three, Matt, we are going to clap. All right, you ready? So three and then clap or three clap? One, two, clap. All right, ready? Here we go. One, two, way off. We'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> All right, love you, brother. Love you, I'll Matt love you K, too. even though I barely know you. Take care, buddy. Bye. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to the no name photo show sharky and i would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend so how about we do this again next episode yeah let's do that mm-hmm.